Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome to my guest, Kimber Dutton. She is She does a lot of things, like a lot of people that I have here. She's very multi-talented. I know that she has a performance background, and we met in a business course that we were taking online and have been connected ever since then. And then she actually was a client of mine last year. So uh, she also, I believe you're now coaching now, right? I'm getting into the world of coaching. I haven't officially started, but (laughs) I'm starting to put my offers out and getting people to sign up to work with me. I think my first client actually is, I meet with them tomorrow. So, (laughs) Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. And I would love for you to just introduce yourself in however you think of yourself right now, because I know you do a lot of things. Yes. And I change my mind about who I am like every week. So right (laughs) now in this moment... Um, I'm a podcast host. I have a podcast called Just Be Your Bad Self that kind of came out of what my background is, which is I grew up Mormon, which is a super high demand uh, religion. I grew up in the military. I grew up in a very conservative family. And I thought as a child that like everything my parents taught me, everything my church was teaching me was like the right way to live life. And then later in life, I experienced some major cognitive dissonance and it completely shifted my path. I I left Mormonism. I just started deconstructing everything that I was ever taught. And I've kind of used my podcast as a way to do that. So yeah, I guess that's a little bit about me. Yes. And as Matias said, I'm a musician. I play the violin, the piano. I sing. I have my degree in choral education, so I taught orchestra and choir for a few years. I'm a mom, and think that's a pretty good like <laughs> overall who I am. Yeah, and you've probably already started to touch on this, but what are you passionate about right now? Yeah, right now I am very passionate about this deconstruction that I'm doing, and I am shocked to find that things that I never thought I would have to deconstruct, I am deconstructing. And so kind of in this, like, I never was a rebel as a teenager. So now that I'm 33, I'm like full out rebel mode. (laughs) And I'm using, I'm, I'm starting to bring my music into it. So I'm, uh, because I love to sing. And so with my coaching, uh, I'm making it into kind of this empowered voice coaching. And I want to do voice work with people, not just to help them sing or perform, because I'm kind of becoming anti-performy, but to just express themselves and to own own their own voice. So I'm kind of combining my two passions of this rebel and music right now. Oh, I love that. And that is feels like a really natural segue to ask, what has that done for you? Like for you feeling empowered to use your voice? Because I know that that's been a theme for you and like is some, somewhat of a theme on your podcast as well. Like Anything you want to say about that journey and what that has meant for you to be able to speak? It's And my perspective now is different than it would have been last month even because, so I left 
I left the Mormon church and in the church, it's a very like, it's like a microcosm of a lot of the other oppressive systems that we live in. So lots of patriarchal and capitalist ideas within this religion. And I was taught that my value was based on how well I could produce, how well I could fit into a certain gender binary. So what was interesting in leaving the church is I started challenging some of the things like, what's my role as a, a woman? Is there, and, and then, you know, and then that goes into, well, what is gender? What, you know, and then it just keeps expanding. And I've noticed lately that even my deconstruction process, I've done it in a very capitalistic, productive way. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this topic. Please keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so man, I'm, my whole journey is fascinating to myself because I started this podcast thinking this is my rebellion against perfectionism, not realizing that in order to overthrow perfection, in order to be done with perfection, you've got to overthrow all of the systems that tell us what perfect is. And so I started out being like, you know, I I can work and be a mom. I don't just have to stay home. I can also work. And I started talking about feminism a lot and everything to me was about the patriarchy. And I think, uh, oh, and it's important to know that simultaneously when I was in this business class with you, Mattia, I got into it because I was selling a product on Amazon. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And and it did not feel in alignment with me. So this program that Mattia and I took was about was like your soul's calling and made to do this. It was about finding like the thing that aligned with who you were. And I thought, well, I was selling yoga mats because I wanted to promote like mindfulness and slowness. And so I got into this program thinking this will help me market it in a way that feel and, and do whatever in a way that feels aligned with me. And instead it made me realize the reason it, it was out of alignment for me is because of all of the all of my values I had to shove into a closet in order to be able to sell a product on Amazon. So so that's I didn't realize that yet when I started the podcast, but I was all in like feminism and you know patriarchy and down with religion and stuff like that. And I I was having this conversation with my little brother who is super smart. He's he's getting his PhD in communications. He lives in Tampa and so he he He's the one in my life that I think challenges my thinking and expands my brain a little more because living in Southern Utah, I'm surrounded by white, middle-class, like cis, like all of the majority people, religious, that's who I interact with on a daily basis. So I don't have a lot of people in my life that challenge my thinking um, in a way that feels expansive, I should say. <laughs> they challenge my thinking all the time, but uh, anyways... I was, ha can you tell I have ADHD? This is, I'm, I'm glad to know like the audience of your podcast is probably okay following my train of thought. Yes. So talking to my little brother about feminism and he said something about, well, that's capitalism for you. And I said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because it seemed like he'd said that a few times. That's capitalism for you. That's capitalism for you. The first three times I kind of dismissed it and then Finally, I was like, what do you what do you mean when you say that? Like, I'm talking about patriarchy and you keep talking about capitalism. And then I said, before you start talking, let's schedule a time and talk about it on the podcast. So 
I'm trying to remember where this conversation started. What was the what was the original question? Uh, well, the original question was you like this journey of you using your own voice, and you're talking about the podcast specifically. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So we're talking about how I'm I'm starting to realize just this month, just like the last two months, that the way I've been deconstructing is still part of this system that I am deconstructing. So I've done retreats. I've done a podcast. I've started doing coaching. And so much of what I've done has been motivated by monetary gain. I found things that I'm passionate about and that I want to learn about, but but I still feel like in order to not be filling these roles as like a stay-at-home mom that I was expected to fill, that now I have to justify not doing that by contributing to to my family in the way that my husband contributes by making an income and that I can't justify all of the time and energy that I've been putting into all these things without telling him like, oh, don't worry, like, this is going to make us, <laughs> this is going to make us so much money because I think I have so much guilt around the fact that I'm not spending time planning meals and cleaning the house and doing all of these like household tasks. So then I have to justify it by saying, oh, I'm making money. And it's only recently that I've realized like I've got to change my own narrative and the way that I'm doing things if I really want to make a difference. Like there's that quote, you can't, like you can't disassemble the master's house with the master's tools, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Like our businesses are not going to disable capitalism. Exactly. And that is seriously, I think I figured that out (laughs) in the last week. That's like right where (laughs) my brain is right now. Like, oh my gosh, I just spent $10,000 on this coaching course to help me market and sell, you know, the high ticket offer. And I don't think I want to do that. Like, I don't, like, I'm full on rebellion. I want to freaking overthrow everything. And I don't think I can do that and, you know, make a seven figure business off of what I'm doing at the same time. I don't, I, I think that's probably why I felt stuck for so long is that I've been trying to do those, both of those. And so, yeah. As far as freeing my voice, it really is going to come back to this. There's a long road, which is the name of your podcast. We took the longer road to get here. But I did this really cool thing with a couple of my friends um, a few weeks ago where am I allowed to talk about plant medicine on this podcast? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, as part of my deconstruction... <laughs> tried plant medicine, which is something that in a former life, never in a million years would have thought I would have been doing that. And then my first psilocybin journey, there was a a lot to it that we're not going to go into on this podcast, but there was a moment where I felt like I was giving birth to my voice. And I thought I need to have some kind of ceremony that represents like me giving birth to my voice. And so I invited my mom and my daughter, and then two of my really close friends to come do this voice birthing ceremony. And I and and I trusted all of them enough that I said, I want the ceremony to be for me, but I want you guys to host it. Or I want you folks to host it and facilitate it. 
one of one of my friends is a drama therapist. The other one is like a singer songwriter. So I knew they could do it. And the space we did it in was in this place called the womb. This this lady that I just met a couple weeks ago made this really cool earth dome that she called the womb. And her name's actually also Kimber. So we did it there and I invited her. And Kimber, the other Kimber, was in the middle of a 30-day vow of silence. So we were doing this birthing ceremony. She was there in the middle of her 30-day vow of silence. And part of what my friend Anna, the drama therapist, did was she had me like close my eyes and imagine myself as a child and then just make noises and give voice to like these different ages as I grew up. And she really pushed me to like really get into my feelings and say these, you know, to say things that maybe I wasn't allowed to express. And as this went on, there came a point where she said, I want you to get louder. I want you to keep going. And I said, no, I I don't want to. (laughs) I just want to be quiet. And for me, at this like voice birthing ceremony, the most powerful part of it was me like claiming my right to be silent and to not perform and to not produce this thing that other people were telling me to do. And so with my podcasts, where I'm at now with it is it it has allowed me to give birth to my own voice and to start respecting my own authority, but also I'm starting to understand my right to silence and the importance of silence and that we don't always need to be talking to be worthy. Like we don't always have to be performing for other people. And especially where I'm in this place of like rebellion, that for me, my silence is an act of rebellion. And if I can, instead of using my podcast to promote my own voice, use my podcast to amplify the voices of people who've been kept silent, that's now where I want to go with my podcast is not just to use it to claim my voice, but to to use it to be silent and amplify the voices of other people. So there you go. We finally got (laughs) to the answer. (laughs) That was awesome. There's so much there, like in that story and in little nuggets that you said, may I like go like use something you said as an example to talk about kind of the meta creating the space Mm -hmm. part. So I love that you were talking about, you asked people, you kind of created the title or, you know, like what this is about. You asked some other people with some professional background, like drama therapy is awesome. I'm so, so into it and asked them to kind of come up with some stuff basically. Right. So they were kind of doing, you know, creating some space for you. And then there was this moment where, you know, maybe the, you know, the person who was telling you to speak up or be louder, that was probably part of the plan they had in mind right? As a practitioner, they were like, oh, this is the thing that helps people do whatever. Like they probably had some intention in mind. And for you to be able to both in that moment, say what you actually needed and then actually do the process that you needed, like that exact thing that you modeled there is for me, the entire purpose of being a practitioner. It's to create the space to like draw that out of the person, not, okay, now I'm going to make you like 
walk through all of these little things I've created. Like, a, I don't know why I just had a Stations of the Cross like <laughs> image in my head. It's like, you don't have to like do these things, you know, that I've created in this exact way. It's about, it's really about just creating the space where you felt comfortable in this case to be like, nope, this is actually what I need. And that then being the, like, that being the most powerful thing for you is totally unsurprising to me because that's, I think for most people, when they have that like connection with what they need, can express it and then can follow through with it. For most people, they look back and they're like, that was the best part of the experience. Yeah. And here's where I want to talk about coaching with you because I, I did, I think 12 weeks of coaching with you, yeah. right? Like <laughs> week within weeks of getting an ADHD diagnosis. Um, I think I was just waiting for the diagnosis to be able to work with you because I was like, now I qualify for for Matias client. But um, I am the kind of person that, and I think a lot of us are, we want so badly for someone else to have the answers for us. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter who I also think um, she hasn't been diagnosed, but. I think it's likely that she also has ADHD and she will throw a tantrum at me if I say, I don't know to her. If she asks me a question and I say, I don't know, like, that's a really good question. She gets, I get yelled at, like she gets very upset. And I completely understand that emotion because especially growing up, my my daughter's not being raised in the religion that I was raised in. So I was always raised to believe there was someone that had all the answers for my life. And that is such a comforting thought, like somebody else, like somebody else has got it, you know, that someone knows you just have to ask them and they'll tell you. That is the thing I miss the most from religion <laughs> is certainty. It's really hard. And so, and Mattia, you already know this, that when I first started coaching with you, it was really frustrating for me because I felt like. I felt like my life was just falling apart and I wanted someone to say, all right, here's how you fix it. You know, here's how you get an organized email inbox and here's how you budget your money and here's how you do whatever. And like, make me fix it and hold me accountable so that I would fix my (laughs) life that was falling apart. And you never did that in, you never did that. Like you didn't fix me. You didn't fix me. And instead, essentially, in, in you taught me that I didn't need to be fixed. And that is so, it's so powerful because most people don't know that. Like most of us walk around thinking there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. And, it, and again, it's because of the boxes that we live in, you know, these systems are saying, if you want to be a good person, this is how you have to operate. Um, and that we're not taught that maybe we can build a life, we can fix our, we can, I don't even like to use the word fix, but like, instead of molding ourselves to fit the life that was handed us, we can like make choices in our life that work for us. And I feel like I've had to learn this lesson over and over and over again. And every time it feels like I figured out my life, <laughs> like every time I come to this conclusion, I'm like, oh, I I figured it out. I cracked the code. And then I'm like, I think I probably figured, I think feel like I've had this insight before and I must've just forgot it <laughs> because now it feels brand new because I, as I'm talking to you, I'm like, Oh yeah, I feel like I did that with you. 
but then when when um I've been obsessed over chat GPT and all this AI lately and I've been thinking about like just how this is going to change everything and how every time humans in the past have come up with a new technology to like take the burdens away from us instead of taking more rest and relaxation we become more busy and more like about productivity yeah and I, and I think it's because and I think AI feels so scary to us because AI once the technology is there a machine is going to outproduce a human every single time all day long it doesn't need a break it doesn't get tired and we place so much value in our society on productivity that if we can't be productive then we're not worth anything we have no value to the system and that right now that's time based and not innovation based or sort of creativity based right like that it's about it's partly about not just maximizing the output but like how much time we're putting and it, and it's both right it's like we both are supposed to be productive a lot of hours and put the time in and then we're supposed to like you know pick that one area where we can produce the most for the system so that we can also like maximize output at the same time and if we're not doing both of those things together we're failing yes and so our value is measured based on how much we're contributing to the system and i realized so there's a question i talk about a lot or a phrase i use a lot in my podcast which is like you know you're good enough you're good enough the way you are or you're you're worthy of love you're valuable and as i was just on this little rabbit hole of thoughts with um ai and productivity i thought my narrative's totally wrong because every time you talk about a person's worth or if they're good enough you are objectifying them and treating them as a commodity for the system this was this is like my new you get to talk to me 2 days after my brain blew up when i thought of this because i was like <laughs> i've just written a whole coaching program that i am now going to throw out the window about you know worthiness <laughs> and being good enough. And I don't really want to use that language anymore because I feel like it treats people like they are something to be weighed and measured. And we're, I don't think we are. Hmm. I think I'm, I'm starting to believe that when we talk about value, I don't know. And this is still a new insight, so I don't have all the language around it, but it should be more about what we value in our lives and what we choose to value in our lives rather than proving that we are valuable which is in a nutshell what i think you do in your coaching is you take the the weights and measurements out of it it's ne it's never about helping us prove to anybody that we're valuable it's about helping us get clear on what we value and using our time and energy on that <laughs> instead of making us the ones that have to be valuable. Thank you. And I just wanted to add to that, that like that requires space, right? To have those thoughts, to do that processing. And obviously you, you know, taking that time to work with me, that was part of taking that space. You're like, we've got, you know, an hour every week for this amount of time, right? So for a few months, at least for this time, you were giving yourself that space 
to think about those things and kind of like jump into that. But, you know, to go back to the creativity and AI thing, like the amount of space that any creative brain needs, I think is staggering to the capitalist system. And to add neurodivergence or a trauma history or having kids, right? Or other caretaking duties, right? Like to add anything else in on top of that. Like I have so few family responsibilities right now. Like, so there's so little demand on my time. And still I'm looking at, you know, the amount of space that I need around creative production. And I'm just like, wow, like I could carve out even more time and it would probably make my creative work even better. And I'm already, you know, I've already sort of maximized my life for this creative work, which is funny because I know we're talking about this, like, but, but I mean, but I I don't mean that in like a uh, weird capitalist output way, but more just like what I want to be working on. And I'm like, I'm realizing I need these long spaces um, where I'm just not doing anything to just be able to think and be creative. And especially if AI ends up taking over some of the like boring, repetitive tasks that right now a lot of office jobs are, right? Or even like coding, right? Being able to do a lot of these coding tasks that right now people are being paid a good amount of money in my you know world, a lot of money to be programmers. A lot of that work is just going to be taken like and done. Um, and what's going to be, again, assuming that the capitalist system is still there, I think what's both valuable, but also can be really personally fulfilling is that creative time and like actually having time to like sit with, what do I really want? What do I really love? What gets me into flow? You know, what do I genuinely enjoy doing or, or, or like, what would I love to see created? Because for me, I was talking about, about it more from the process just there because I'm very process oriented. But if you're not, if you're more like big picture, I want to see the, you know, what do I want to be created? What innovations do I want to see? And what social changes do I want to see? Right? Because yeah, that's a huge topic, obviously, like <laughs> trying to, you know, break down or significantly change the system using tools that were created by it. Like it is very complicated. But yeah, I think about that a lot. The like, that all of these constructs around in order to change your life and figure out what you want and think about your values, you need space because it's a creative process is where I was going with that. And so when you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, like you were able to do that and have that space around it. But when we're just busy and go, 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 and like everything's full up with little tasks all day, every day, and we're like, can't get ahead of the to-do list. That's one of the things that I think makes people feel frustrated and behind is because they're like, look, I know there's the bigger picture stuff, but I don't have time to look at it. I don't have time to strategize or think about my values or like sit down and do fucking journaling exercises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't have the time. And just being on the like treadmill feeling part of that without ever having the space. For me, when I do that, my body just starts to break down and forces me to rest because it's like, you know, you have to stop. But if I don't make myself take that time, yeah, this is very much where my head has been. Oh my gosh, I have so much I want to talk to you about, Mattia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to just think where a good entry point would be. So I guess, first of all, have you heard of this group? I just barely heard of it a couple days ago, and I haven't even had time to look it up. But there's a, there's a group of, I think, Black women have have created a group around this idea of 
like radical rest. Does this sound familiar to oh, you? Oh yeah. Um was that Adrian Marie Brown? See, I don't know heard? anything about it yet. So you might know okay. more than me. But I've just been thinking about this idea of rest as a form of rebellion, especially for the people in in the system who are the most commodified, right? If we're talking about people as as commodities, the people that are the most oppressed within the system and are forced to work the hardest for them rest for all of us really but it rests as an act of rebellion and i don't there's this there's this scene in finding nemo okay nope i can't go there yet we haven't got there yet <laughs> and i guess i just keep thinking about this idea of because I always thought I had to earn my rest, right? You know this very well because you worked with me as a, as my coach. <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't done enough. I haven't done the tasks on my to-do list to have earned the space to do the creative fun things. And we're fed this idea that if you work hard enough and you make enough money, if you if you win the system, <laughs> if you beat the system, then you get to rest as your reward. You see that everywhere in in oh yeah every, every oppressive system like that's the narrative that we are fed religion you know is the same thing if you work hard enough if you serve the system that we've given you well enough then you will get a reward of of rest and that's total bullshit from start to finish and you don't even get it even if you do the hard work so yeah. And so this idea that has been forming you're the first person I've really talked to it about about to uh, I can't use my words. You're the first person I've really talked about this to, but I've been thinking of this is where finding Nemo is going to come back in. So <laughs> uh, I've been on a couple of um, I've I've been traveling the the last couple of months and have had the opportunity to just watch movies for a lot of that time. And two of the movies I've watched that have kind of got my wheels turning are Hidden Figures which is the movie about the women of color that worked for NASA. And in that movie, watching how they showed what it's like to be a woman in a patriarchal system, and they showed what it's like to be a racial minority in a system that promotes white privilege. And they showed that divide between the white women and the black women who really should have been fighting on the same side. But because of the system we're in, the white women were like, well, we've got to prove that we're worthy. You know, we've got to prove to the men and to capitalism that we can play this game. And part of that is by having someone else that can do all the tasks that the game wanted us to play, that wanted us to do. Does yeah. that make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> and that whiteness, and that they know from being told since, you know, so they were very young that like the whiteness is the prioritized identity there and that they know they can play on that. The goal for so long has not been to dismantle the system, but to win the system and to prove yeah. that no matter who you are, you can, you know, the American dream, no matter who you are, you can make the money and get on top. And yeah. And once you have that, then you believe it's a meritocracy. So once you are winning, you look back and go, oh, it's a meritocracy. I don't know that word. What's that word? Like, <laughs> um, meritocracy is what most people think America is, which is you 
move up through merit. So if you deserve to, if you work hard enough and you're good enough, then you get that, you, you gain rewards through merit. And, you know, we have this set up in systems like merit scholarships and, you know, all this stuff, like it's, it's worked into the fabric of our institutions, but obviously what happens then is the people who are at the top of the institutions or who are doing well, or who are just moving up, quote, up the ladder in some way, they look down at the people below them and they're like, well, I'm working really hard and, and, and they, they may well be right. That's the thing is like privilege doesn't mean you're not working hard, but it also doesn't mean that it's pure merit. (laughs) Right. Yes. And I feel a little bad that I'm just shoving all this into your podcast episode because this was going to be like four podcast episodes that I haven't got (laughs) to yet, but I've just been waiting to talk about this. So I watched that movie and then the next day my kids were watching Finding Nemo and I watched that with them. And there's that scene in Finding Nemo, two scenes actually. The first one, Nemo's in the tank um, with the in the dentist tank with the other fish and the dentist comes to scoop him out and the other fish are like, hurry, jump in the net with him and swim down. Right. And then they get down and they get out of the net. And then later in the movie, after Nemo's back in the ocean, that huge group of fish gets caught by this net and they're all swimming in all these different directions, just totally freaking out. And Nemo is outside of the net and he's like, I know how to help him. And he goes in and starts telling everybody, like, swim down. You got to swim, make me cry. I haven't cried about this. But, like, I think this idea of, like, swimming down, it's so, it's so against everything that we've been taught. Like, we're taught to win and to beat the system and to get the money and to prove our worth. And every time we buy into that idea, we're just... We're, we're, I guess if we're going to use the fish in the net analogy, like swimming up, we're, we're like getting closer to the boat and getting caught and eaten, you know, and that, that is, that's the equivalent of trying to disassemble the master's house with the master's tools. And that if we really, if we really want to change the system, we've got the people with privilege especially, and all of us have different kinds of privilege, right? Whether you're able-bodied or white or cis Mm -hmm. or whatever, there's so many different kinds of privilege. And if you are somebody with privilege in a certain category, then it's our responsibility to swim down, to like swim away from our privilege and empower the people without that privilege. And I don't, it's it's so counterintuitive because even all of the people that I see that are, I mean, coaching alone, like coaches do such amazing, good work. And a lot of coaches are like kind of on this socially progressive, in this socially progressive space. But there's so, and there's so much language around money mindset and you know, you, you value your clients by making them pay more. And yeah, I hate that shit. (laughs) Oh, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. How do you convince people like to swim down? Like that's the only way, that's the only way to opt out of the system, just to do the exact opposite of the things that they're telling us to do. Yeah. One way I've been, because I think about this topic a lot as well. And I absolutely love that analogy. 
one way that I would like to do that more is by helping people doing organizational and cultural work to, I mean, essentially like the way I think of it is helping heal the nervous system, but basically like, you know, improve, like grow your window of tolerance, build your stress response, whatever way you want to put it. That's like appropriate for me to talk about as not a therapist. Right. You know, but like this, this building capacity and in particular, uh, working on this overall stress and trigger response, because it's a huge, huge problem that when people do organize Mm -hmm. and people who I do agree with and love get together in groups and are trying to make decisions and do things and figure out how are we going to, you know, get to this goal. One of the things that's in the way besides just the personal traumas and, you know, physical history in the body is to loop all the way back to one of the first things you said, this perfectionism and this purity that come out of white Christian culture. Like it's not just white supremacy related to perfectionism, which I think is true, but also there's this weird purity element of like, there's one way to do things. This is the only correct way. And we must do it with, you know, pure hearts and pure language and this whole, and I'm just like, this is literally colonialist Christian language. And it's not my role to like, you know, strip that out for people, but I do know how to help people increase their felt sense of safety. And I think when people feel more safe, it's easier to not lean into that perfectionist purity stuff as much because if you don't just go, okay, there's one answer. And if we don't, you know, if we don't all do this exact thing, then like everything's going to explode and then it, then it triggers people. Anyway, there's just this, this happens a lot in <laughs> organiz- organization spaces, um, a community work where, you know, people's shit comes up. And I just I was just leading a training this last weekend um, in Austin for New Leaders Council, which is a program I did three years ago. And one of the things that and there's like this curriculum around it. I, I was um, mostly following a curriculum, but then I was allowed, I had some leeway to kind of like add other things or like use my own language. And one of the things I had people do was when we were doing this exercise where people were sharing their story in like a short five minute format. You know, people are bringing up tough shit and we just did really simple little breathing exercise in between each person, like really, really, to me, so, so simple. And then when we got this feedback back from the fellows at the end of the weekend, almost every one of them mentioned that. And I was like, wow, it was like the simplest possible thing. I I think through, like, as we were doing them over the course, because there were 16 of them. So, you know, 16 times we did this little tiny, tiny breath thing. Um, I tried to seed in a few times, like, oh, here's why this, you know, makes you feel better. And this is my, you know, hypnosis training showing. But this, I was just like, wow, that uh, space that they had to do just this, the tiniest of somatic practices, like the smallest possible thing I could think of that took like five seconds, right? Everybody was like, that helped so much. And I've really come away from that weekend, and you're the first person I'm talking about this to, like, <laughs> Thinking about, you know, how can I, I love working one-on-one with people, but how can I like take this particular learning, this like somatic emotional regulation stuff into organizations, but not like, not just like big for-profit organizations, right? Like, like how can I help with nonprofits or, you know, community organizing and so forth? Um, Again, like not me coming in and being like, I know so much about this, la, 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 la. But like, really like how, how, like, what do people actually need in these spaces? to be able to coordinate and like figure out what swimming down looks like for that group. And like, how can I actually help them 
have the internal tools or like find their own internal tools. That's another way I think about it. It's not just like, oh, here's a bunch of stuff you've never heard of. It's like, what's working for you? What's already working for you? Um, And to that end, I'm just going to mention now that it's on my mind, I'm going to be doing a workshop at 3 p.m. Eastern on February 15th and 22nd called tending your resources garden. And I will talk more about that later, but I just wanted to throw that out there because um, I'm excited about that. Sounds fun. So that's about, that's the, some of the same exercises you've been doing. You're going to be doing on this, yeah. this workshop. And and specifically like finding what's already working for you rather than, because again, I feel like for, I don't know, teaching, a lot of times it's like, come in, learn 20 things you haven't heard before and that you may not have scaffolding for. And this is like, what resources do you already have in your world and how can you find those and tend to those and like build more around the things that are already working versus being like, oh great, here's a bunch of new stuff I need to like Mm. find space for in my life, right? Like, yeah, I know I should be meditating. Okay, okay. (laughs) I love that idea because you you bypass the (laughs) the overwhelm of like, Mm -hmm. I I already have I have all the information. I have too much. Exactly. Don't give me more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Everybody like information is not the issue. Like people have, they either have the information, they've heard it already. Like you said, we keep having the same realizations over and over. What we need is the space to integrate it mm-hmm. and figure out what does this actually look like in my day-to-day life. And again, to come back to AI, which is just, I can't stop thinking about it. It's just going to be, we already are so inundated with content and information. And this is just going to super, this is just going to exponentially increase how much information and content can be put out. And I can't remember where I heard this, but I heard, you know, probably from one of the like astrology woo accounts I follow on Instagram. Um, But, but I, it really stuck with me that someone said we're, we've been in the age of information, but that age we're, we're moving into an age of embodiment where we really have to get into our bodies because there is so much information that our brains don't have the ability to process and critical thinking is just going to get more and more relevant and harder and harder to do. And so we need to, we need to get more into our bodies and that's very much the work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole, right? Like that's a whole rabbit hole I could go down. That's another huge, <laughs> huge, huge topic. So as like as we start winding down for time, because I do want to be mindful of time, I know we touched on a whole bunch of topics. And I'm really curious if we were kind of pulling together all the threads of what we talked about today. So like we've got, you know, we talked about AI, we talked about worthiness and kind of moving away from that language, um, you know, building businesses within this larger structure, knowing that our businesses are not going to fix everything or break the system down. Right. Like, and, and like feminism and, you know, intersectional stuff, all these threads kind of coming together. Is there anything like really present for you that you want to share or have people hear, or that you're like, maybe even just questions that you're still processing yourself? Cause I know that this is still like, you're still thinking about all this. I think the big takeaway or the big thing on my mind lately with tying the threads of my life together even is this idea of being willing to swim down and empower each other. Even the people that that are contributing to our oppression, 
need to be empowered. I think we need to reframe our thinking from like, oh, we got to disempower these people and empower these people. And instead think of it as like, we're empowering everybody to expand our thinking (laughs) and to be better and to be kinder and to rest without having to earn it. And, and I think the more that we can be willing to let go of our egos a little bit and this inner drive that a lot of us have to want to win and instead realize that, I mean, I'm working on just reframing my definition of success. Like, do I want success to look like I have a million dollars in the bank and I can do whatever I want whenever I want? Or do I want my success to look like really making a difference and empowering as many people as I can while also honoring my own needs and boundaries? (laughs) And I think that the more we can all embody that, the more we are all going to be like winners, I guess, (laughs) if that's the way you want to think about it. But I think, I think the, I think the world is going to be better for everyone if we can kind of go against our, (laughs) our nature and, and swim down. I love that. I'm going to be thinking about that analogy for a while. So two final questions. Where can people find you? And do you have any advice for yourself at another age? Ooh, okay. To find the most authentic, unfiltered me, my podcast is the best place for that. It's just be your bad self. Um, just be your bad self.com is my podcast website. I'm also on Instagram at that Kimber girl. And I have a coaching website. Um, It's just KimberDutton.com. It is going to be undergoing major renovation because I do not think as it stands, it is a good representation of who I am or what I'm about. But this podcast will be up for a while. So maybe by the time you hear it, I will have renovated and updated my website to be more in alignment with where I'm at. As far as advice, I would give my younger self... I want younger me to know that it's okay that she doesn't like to perform. It's okay that she likes to write for herself and sing for herself and that she doesn't like the pressure of pleasing other people and that that makes sense and that that is actually one of her strengths and it's not something wrong with her. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Oh, so good. Anything else you want to add? I, I think that's it. I mean, come listen to my podcast episodes because by next week, my brain's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> the rocket is taking ah, off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited to listen to that too. Yeah. And we'll put those links in the show notes. And um, oh, and I also, I earlier looked up the book because uh, I, I figured you were referring to this book, Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto mm-hmm. by Trisha Hersey, which I have not read. Um, but I know that that was the book that a lot of people were talking about. Um, it came out, it actually only came out like a few months ago. Um, but she's been talking about this for a while. So I think she's one of the people, um, that, that has, you know, kind of been that voice for, um, like black rest specifically. And I want to mention another book that's along the same line, actually two more books that are along the same lines. One is, Mm -hmm. um, in praise of slowness by Carla Nore. And the other one is quiet. I'm sure you've probably heard about that one, but I can't remember who wrote it. It's like quiet, the power of silence in a world that won't stop talking. And again, it's just like an alternate 
uh, viewpoint to to what we're taught is the way we're supposed to be. And slowness, quiet, rest are all valuable, as as much valuable as <laughs> as what we were taught as productivity and going fast and all of the other being loud. Yeah, absolutely. So I will put the links to those books in the show notes as well, because um, I love reading books. And thank you so much for being here. And I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMaria.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.